I love that music. Hey, all of our, um, all of our runners that are running in the marathon in a couple of weeks, would you stand up for me? I do want to recognize you this morning. We have the shirts over here. Would you do that? God bless you guys. We're going to be praying for you. We're so excited about, about you just kind of, um, you know, experiencing every step. <laughs> and the torture that it's gonna be. God bless you, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, they are, they're not only uh, running for Jesus and running for kids and World Vision, but uh, they have tremendous fellowship together. Every Saturday they gather together and they, they have uh, prayer together. They, they just connect together on a, on a far deeper level than just running and it's pretty cool. Today we begin this brand new series called um, um, Exodus, A Journey to Freedom, and, um, and I've, I'm looking forward to sharing with you over the next five weeks. So we have five weeks before Easter, and uh, there's no way to get through the entire book of Exodus in five weeks. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do a little bit of Exodus, and then we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back to Exodus. But by the end of 2024, we're going to do the whole book together, okay? So, um, but we're going to take it in little, little chunks. And by the way, by the way, I see Haley's in the room. Haley, stand up for me, would you? This is Haley, our new children's ministry assistant. Would you welcome Haley and thank her for serving our children? Amen. We're excited. Uh, Haley and Pastor uh, uh, Kaylee are working together. Um, this, by the way, our kids' um, virtue this month is on forgiveness. They are learning about forgiveness. And I'm uh, really excited about that. So uh, make sure your kids, if you've got children, are in our second hour of children's ministry every week. It's a great place for them to learn God's word. Exodus is an epic tale of fire, sand, wind, and water. The, the adventure takes place under the hot desert sun, just beyond the shadow of the great pyramids. And I don't know, has anybody ever been to Egypt? Anybody physically been to Egypt in the room? Not one of you, huh? That's not a vacation spot you're trying to go to, huh? You don't want to go to the desert, huh? You got enough brown here in Bakersfield that you don't need to go to Egypt to get some more brown, huh? But uh, Egypt, I, I've, uh, I've only been there one time. I was in the airport flying to India and... Um, didn't really, but as I was flying over that whole Middle Eastern land, I looked down from the airplane at 35, 40, 50,000 feet, I don't know what it was, but I could see nothing but brown, nothing but brown sand. It just goes for miles and miles and miles. This is the place that two mighty nations, the nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel, collided together. And if you know the Bible, you know that this uh, the story of the of a, of the of the slaves in Egypt is a really crucial story for us to understand as it pertains to our faith in Jesus Christ. It was here that there was led by two great men. There was Moses who was the great leader of the Israelites, and we're going to hear about him next week. And there was Pharaoh, who was the villain of the story, who continued to try to bring slavery and oppression and persecution to the people of God. In almost every scene of this masterpiece, which is the second book of the Bible, 
The fifth, the second book of what was the original Bible, the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible, the book of the law. It was, it was a continuation of the story of Genesis. But here in chapter, in, in, in the second chapter, there's this, there's this incredible scenes, things like a baby in a basket, a burning bush, the river of blood and other plagues, the angel of death, the crossing of the Red Sea, the manna in the wilderness, the water from a rock, the thunder and lightning from a mountain, the Ten Commandments, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, a golden calf and the glory of a tabernacle. It is an epic book with epic stories. Every moment of this book is filled with, with excitement and joy. It's almost like this was the first Hollywood movie that was ever made that was written on pages for us to see the mighty hand of God. You and I need to realize that all of us at one time were in Egypt. Although you may not have physically been there, every single one of us has been enslaved. Every single one of us has faced oppression at so many different levels. And today, as we, as we begin this series, my hope and prayer is that you will identify yourself in the story. That you'll identify yourself in such a way that you could see how God could lead you on a journey towards freedom and a free life that is found in Jesus Christ. You see, for the Old Testament, this, is, this book records for us their moment of what they would call salvation. They would call their moment of salvation coming out of slavery into the promised land, going through the Red Sea. That was the moment of their of the salvation. Before there was Jesus, whenever you would ask the Jewish people, tell me about your salvation, they would go back and tell you the story that is recorded for us in the book of Exodus. For us as Christians, we understand that the captivity of, that was found in Egypt is no longer a captivity that we find ourselves in because the greatest victory that we can have is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we move through the book, of the first few chapters of the book of Exodus, we're going to end up at the Passover in the very last message before we get to Easter. And we're going to see the connection between Jesus and his work that he did and the work of Moses and Jesus, the work of, of him being used as a, as a savior or as a deliverer, Moses was, and how Jesus was greater than Moses. It's an incredible book, and my hope and prayer is that you will read through it. Now, as I was thinking about this series, I was thinking back to the greatest decade of my life. You know what the greatest decade of my life was? The 1980s. Anybody else in the room like the, 19, the 80s? You know, there's a few of us from this era. You know, the 80s were, were it. For my kids, the 80s were, are like the 50s to me, you know. They're like for old people, okay. <laughs> but the 80s uh, was the time where, you know, I graduated from high school. I went in the military. I, I, went to the, I went to college. I married my wife. I mean, a lot of things happened in the 80s in my life. And, but in the 80s, there was this song, and it, it reminded, I was reminded of this song. It was the number one hit in 1986. Do you know what it was called? Anybody know who was in the 80s? It has something to do with Egypt. 
That's exactly right. Walk like an Egyptian. That's exactly right. Walk like an Egyptian. And uh, does anybody here want to do the moves with me? You know, it was the craze of 1986. Go get your Apple tunes out this, this afternoon and go back and listen to the song, Walk Like an Egyptian. It's uh, by the Bengals. There were four girls in the group and everybody was doing this in that time. It was all over the news. It was people on the radio. I mean, it was just craziness. Walk like an Egyptian. You know, so those things happen. So here's my question. Why Exodus? And by the way, the word Exodus literally means to come out. To come out. Why are we looking at the book of Exodus right now? I want to tell you that I struggled after the last series. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to talk about next? Where do you want me to go in my preaching? And um, I went to three different places. And finally, the Lord laid me on my heart to go to the book of Exodus. Because really, it, is a, it fits in the time period of, of Lent where we are moving towards the cross and towards Jesus. You cannot fully understand the cross without fully understanding the teachings that are found in the book of Exodus. And so there are, there are a few reasons why I think you and I should go on the journey through the book of Exodus this year. And we'll go through the first part in the next five weeks. The first one is simply this. You will know God better. There is no other book that I think revol- re- that, that, that reveals to us the greatness of God. His magnificent power. His sovereignty. His, his compassion. His love. He was slow to anger and abounding in love. Yet he was just and right and holy. The scripture tells us in Psalm 66 verses 5 and 7 it says this. And you'll find this theme all the way throughout many of the Psalms. Come and see what God has done. Come and see what God has done. I'm not sure what that was but ignore it. Okay. Everything's good. <laughs> Come and see what the God has done. How awesome his works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not rebellious, rebelliousness rise up against him. All throughout the scripture, you'll find this idea of going back and looking at the Exodus stories to describe how great and awesome God is. And there are times in our life where we need to be reminded of how good God is, how great he is, what his character is like. It was in the book of Exodus that God reveals himself as the great I am. Who are you? And he says, I am. I am. It's here in the book of Exodus that we discover that the name Yahweh, that God is Yahweh, that he is here with us, that he is a person, and he wants to relate to us. We find this in the book of Exodus. So you're going to know God better. The second thing you're going to know is you will understand the gospel better. You will actually understand the gospel of Jesus Christ better by understanding the book of Exodus. You'll understand how great he is. 
When Jesus was walking after the resurrection on the Emmaus Road, he was walking with these two men that had saw the events of the cross and the resurrection. And Jesus comes up beside them and is walking on the road. And, and they are not aware that it is actually Jesus Christ that's standing there with them. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened up and they could see that this was the Son of God, the resurrected Jesus that they saw crucified. And, and the scripture says, and beginning with Moses, now catch that, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of scriptures concerning himself. So where does Jesus start when he talks about his own story, when he talks about what he did on a cross and what he did by rising from the dead being, after being buried in a tomb, he starts all the way back to Moses. And Moses, by the way, represents what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It is the foundation of God's revelation to us of who he is. And there we find the story of Exodus. Exodus is a picture of the gospel. And we seek to understand in Exodus the relationship between Jesus and, him, and, and the story of, of, um, of the, of the, of the um, story of the passing through the Red Sea and Passover and all of those stories that we find in Exodus, we find here in the scripture. It's interesting also that on the, in Luke chapter 9, there is a story about, about the transfiguration where Jesus goes up on a mountain. And who goes up on the mountain with Jesus? Who is there with, his, with a few of his disciples? It was Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah are up on the mountain with Jesus. And the scripture says while they were there, Jesus began to talk to Moses and Elijah about his departure. The word there for departure is the Greek word that is used for exodus. So he is talking about his coming out, his leaving, his death. In the death and resurrection of Christ is the greatest freedom that has ever been given to mankind. Jesus discovers that by talking to Moses. And so Moses is an extremely important person to understand the gospel better. The third thing that you will understand is you will be able to live a better Christian life. You will be able to live a better Christian life. You'll have a better walk with God because in the book of Exodus, you find some incredible examples both positive and negative examples of how you're supposed to walk by faith. You will find examples of, of, of obedience and disobedience. You'll find examples of people who resisted God and they resisted him to the place of their own detriment and lived with the consequences of it. And you will discover that God ultimately wins in all cases. He wins. And so your Christian life will be better. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He says, these things happened. And by the way, the context of this verse is he's talking about the Old Testament events that are recorded for us mostly in the book of Exodus. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. 
And so there are example after example after example. Let me just give you a few highlights of practical things in Exodus that we're going to look at over the, over the coming weeks. Taking care of the unborn. Just this past uh, Tuesday, we had an event here at Olive Knowles for the Bakersfield Crisis Pregnancy Center. And the, and the message of caring for the unborn, caring for life, the book of Exodus deals with that in a very real way. It also deals with racism, murder. It also helps us to realize that God can use weak, ordinary human beings to do extraordinary things. If you remember, if you know your book of Exodus at all, it was Moses that says, I can't do this. I can't speak on your behalf. And God comes alongside and gives him a helper who is Aaron, and then it works. We learn through the, the end of the book of Exodus things like the importance of singing. We do that every week here in church. We sing. We praise God together. It was, it was in the book of Exodus that we begin to discover real worship at the gathered people of God. God drawing people together and singing and worshiping to him. We also learn in this book relying on God's presence every single day. That God gives us what we need for today. He doesn't give us tomorrow's provision. He gives us today's provision. And we learn to rely on God every single day. And then I, you couldn't miss it. But the book of Exodus records for us the greatest commandments that have ever been given to mankind. What are they called? God's Big Ten. The Ten Commandments, which is the foundation of all laws, all, all civilized society, all good human beings live their life based upon the Ten Commandments. And my friends, this is recorded for us in the book of Exodus. And so, with all of that introduction, I hope and pray that this Easter season, this, this Lent season, that you will take your Bibles and that every week I'll send you a note. Here's what we're going to be talking about this week. And you'll go back and read the scripture. How many of you read Exodus 1 and 2 before today? Well, praise God, a few of you did, amen. How many of you got my email yesterday? Oh, many more of you, all right? I send it out every Saturday. I send you out the notes. I let you know what we're doing so you can come prepared to do that. So I would encourage you to read the scripture. All right, so let's take the Bible now. Let's go to Exodus 1. Let's read together. Stand with me. Exodus chapter 1, and let's read the first chapter of the book of Exodus together. Amen. Are you ready? If you brought your Bibles with you, hold them up for me. Amen. I didn't say your phones. I said your Bibles. <laughs> That's okay. These are the names. This is, I'm reading on page number 43 in my Bible. I'm not sure what you're. I'm reading from the New International Version. But this is what the Word of God says. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskiar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephthalim. Naphtalia, Gad, and Asher, the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly. 
and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put the slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithon and Remes as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields and all the hard labor. The Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shiphora and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them in deli- on the delivery stool, it is, if it is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every boy that is born... You must throw into the Nile. That's a river. But let every girl live. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this book is, uh, begins in chapter 1 with what I call a series of chain events, chain reactions. Your life is a series of chain reactions, when I was thinking about my own life this, uh, this week, I was thinking, you know what, um, how did I get to Bakersfield? You know, and I look back at all of the things that have transpired all the way back to my birth. And I go, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and 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 which all ultimately led me to here. And if I go back in time from before my birth, I can look at my own ancestors and I can see where they came from. And I can go back in time and I can see where, where, they're, where, we, where my, my dad immigrated, a family originally from England. My mother was from Ireland, her family. And they eventually got here to the United States of America. Here in the book of Exodus, you find that, that the writer who we believe is Moses is foretelling for us and connecting the story together. You can't fully understand Exodus, by the way, without reading Genesis. So if you want to get caught up, read the entire book of Genesis. Because in that book, you will discover the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the three... The three original patriarchs of of Israel that God had a relationship with. God had called Abram to become Abraham. And then he had a child named Isaac who eventually had a child named Jacob who then had 12 sons. That's the story, okay? It's a beautiful story of how God worked in amazing ways. 
Israel was there. And so this morning, I want you to first of all see in Jacob, there was first of all 11 sons in Joseph. This is the continuation of the story of, of Genesis. And there in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, you discover that the scripture starts out this whole story about these 12 boys that came to Egypt. And why were they there? Why were they living in Egypt? They were there because 11 of the sons had sold the youngest, Joseph, into slavery. They had tried to kill him, but then one of the sons said, no, nah, it's not a good idea for us to kill him. Why don't we just sell him into slavery? And he ends up leaving the promised land or leaving the place that God had called them and was sold to Egypt and became a slave in Egypt. You can read about that story in Genesis. It's about 15 chapters long. It's an exciting story of his life. But God took a young man that he gave a dream to, and he turned him into the leader of Egypt. He becomes the leader of Egypt during a time where there is going to be a worldwide famine. There's going to be a lack of food, the ability to survive, and through the leadership of Joseph, he stores enough food, not only for the nation of Egypt, but he stores enough food for all of the nations that surround them. And one of those nations that comes to Egypt looking for food was the sons of Jacob. The sons of Jacob, all of the sons come and look for food, and they discover that their brother that they sold into slavery has become the leader of Egypt. And that's why we find that the Israelites are in Egypt. They are there as a refugees. They're there as immigrants. They're there to survive in the middle of a great um, economic and, and um, disaster that could have happened upon the world. We just came through a drought. And we know how difficult that is. And over the years of the uh, history of the world, there are times where you have famines, you have droughts, you have earthquakes, you have all kinds of things that happen. And God had provided a way to care for his people even through those tragedies. And so we find that, that Luke, that, that, sorry, that, um, that, that, um, that Joseph was the one with all of his brothers. Now notice, I want you to catch a couple of things. At the time that they were there, they numbered 70 in all. It was only 70 of them, okay? That's pretty small, wouldn't you say? In this room right now, there's probably about 125 of you, okay? So there's less than the people that are in this room right now. Only about 70 of them. And the scripture then goes on to say, Joseph and all of his brothers and all of that generation died. But... The Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. They go from 70 people, now catch this, to the time we get to the middle of Exodus when God takes Moses and leads them out of Egypt and out of slavery and out of bondage, the scripture records that there were over 600 thousand men that does not include the children and the women would you say that they multiplied and were fruitful I would say the the song of exodus is not you know walk like an Egyptian I would say the song of the of the exodus is love shack 
okay? Because there was a whole lot of love going on and a whole lot of multiplication happening. And they had taken seriously God's command to Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis when he said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Children, by the way, are a blessing from the Lord. Amen? And we give thanks for new life all along the way. But you can see here in the very beginning, this time period, just in these six verses, is probably not days or months or even decades. This is probably well over 100, 200, 300 years that they are jumping in time here because they are looking at this movement of one generation dying and another generation coming up and they grew and they grew and they grew and they grew. Then the scripture says this, Change in political leadership happened in Egypt. See the chain of events? All of a sudden, there was a change in the administration. They had an election. No, they didn't do elections back then. <laughs> they had a change in political... And notice what it says, then a new king. And notice what the scripture says, who did not know about Joseph. Joseph had influence in the nation of, of, of Egypt because God had used him greatly to help the Pharaoh, the president, the leader, the king of Egypt in such a way that he could interpret dreams for them and he was placed in leadership. After Joseph died and after that generation died, their memory went away. By the way, that happens to us, doesn't it? We forget what it's like. We forget what it's like when, when FDR was our president and when, when, um, and when there was uh, the, 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 the Carter administration or the Nixon administration or the, or the Reagan administration. I mean, there's been a lot of administrations and a lot of things happen in every period in a country. Every time there's new leadership, there's something that infects, impacts a whole lot of people. Well, this was a change, and then this new king, this new leader, by the way, who is not named, we don't know who he is. People will study this stuff and try to figure out who he is, because we know all the kings by name that were in Egypt at that time, in other historical records. But the scripture doesn't tell. But he says, look, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. And so what happens? They look around, they say, man, there's a lot of people from a lot of other countries here, and they don't look like us, smell like us, or act like us, and I'm concerned that they're going to take over. I'm concerned that they're going to become too powerful. And this is exactly what happens because there is a change in the policy about the Israelites based on fear. They are fearful. Who is fearful? The leader of Egypt is fearful. They're afraid. He's afraid of what's happening to his nation. He has seen this group to go from 70 people, and they have grown and grown, and they are, they are multiplying and becoming fruitful right before their very eyes. And so he says, come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join the enemy, and they'll take over our country. Wasn't true. It had no basis of factual information. But fear sometimes leads us to do dumb, stupid things. 
And by the way, does this sound familiar in the United States of America today? I mean, I don't want to get political with you, but immigration and refugees and people from other nations has been the talk down through human history. People begin to fear somebody that doesn't look like them or smell like them. We are the people of God should see people from other nations a whole lot differently than the people who don't know God. We should see them as creations of God Almighty that God loves and God died for and welcome them with open arms into our relationships and our homes. But there was political slavery that was happening during this time. There was also what is known as economic slavery. So what did this new Pharaoh do? He says the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. He says, all right, I'm going to take this group of people and I'm going to put them to work. I'm going to make them work on our behalf. And he enslaved all of the Israelites into bondage. And they began to be the workforce to build some of the most magnificent human creations of that day and time. If you were to go to Israel today, I mean to Egypt, you would see one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It would be a pyramid, pyramid that sits 50 stories high that was built in the years, we're talking you know, four to 5,000 years ago that is still standing today that was built on slave labor. People having to carry stone and brick and they were used and they were worked hard. They were worked tirelessly. They were enslaved for economic purposes. My friends today, do you know that there are still slaves in our world today? Did you know that? I, I, did, I did a little research, and, and currently there are, right now in the world today, there are 89.3, now catch this, 89.3 million people who have been forcibly displaced in the world in 2020, since 2021. That's a lot of people. 89.3 million. Among them are 27.1 million refugees. Think about what's happening in Ukraine right now. Think about what's happened over the last year where, where there has been an exit, an exodus of hundreds and thousands and millions of people out of the streets and highways of Ukraine who are now being dispersed into other countries and lands all over the world who find themselves without a home, without a job, without an identity, and trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. That's exactly what's happening here in the book of Exodus. That's why I tell you the book of Exodus is a story of human beings. It's a story of us. It's a story of right where we're at, we're at. The United Nations says that one in every 88 people on the earth has been forced to flee or work in a place that was never their home. That is so, so terrible in our world today. There is political and there is economic slavery. And not only that, think about this for a second. Do you know that there are... There are the second largest organized crime in the world is human trafficking. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but I've learned this. Right down the street here on 99 and Olive Drive, all of these hotels right here is nothing but prostitution rings. Girls are enslaved with drugs and alcohol with pimps who are being used as sex slaves to take care of the sexual perversion of others who have means to buy sex to please themselves at the expense of human beings. God cares about those people and wants to set them free from the bondage of sin. The scripture says in Isaiah 1.17, it says this, Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Not only do we have sex trafficking going on, we've got the bondage of people who are addicted to drugs, to alcohol, opioids or, or prescription drugs that are, are devastating people's lives. And then we look at the brokenness of families with children who are displaced from their homes, who find themselves without a home. They are orphans who are then placed in the foster care system and then they're bounced around from one to the other. Could I just tell you the salvation that God wants to give to us is not just spiritual. And that we who have been saved by the grace of God should be concerned about those who have been enslaved in economic slavery, social slavery, political slavery, all the way along the way. There is also the social slavery. It's, this story is so interesting to me. It says, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifera and Pua. By the way, they named two of them. These are probably the, the head of the midwives. They have a bunch of midwives under them. But he brings them in and says, hey, here's what I want you to do. When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, the delivery stool, we're not so sure what that was during that time, but whether their babies were born on a, on a stone or in, on a table, or whatever it might be. We could, the, the scripture interprets this as delivery stool. If it is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. You see, slavery wasn't enough for him. Oppressing them economically wasn't enough. Because why? Because the stronger they were oppressed, the more they grew. They continued to multiply. They continue, God continued to make them fruitful. And so what did they do? He comes along and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill every boy, and I'll stop this population from going forward. And unfortunately today, abortion is doing that to America today. We're killing little babies before they even breathe their first breath, keeping the population lower. Never God's will. Never God's will. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. The midwives, so courageous that they are being told by this oppressive king, kill every boy. Yet they had an allegiance to God that was greater than their allegiance to the king. 
And they said, no, we're not going to violate God's laws. We fear him more than we fear you. And therefore, we will not carry this order out. You see, it was infants. It was, it was a way that, that God was using the courage of a small group of people who had very little power to take care of his will and his ways. Powerful ways. So what happens? Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And I love their answer. Some would say it's a lie. Some even said that, they, that the midwives sinned to cover up a greater sin. I think it's shrewd and wise in their response. Because what does the wives, midwives answer? The Hebrew women who are not like the Egyptian women, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. In other words, they say, oh, well, you know, it's not our fault. They just have babies so fast. They just come like you wouldn't imagine. By the time we get the call and we get there, we go, the baby's already born and we don't even know where the baby is anymore. And the king is furious, so furious that he does the unthinkable. Notice what it says. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them family. So God rewards the midwives for doing the right thing, amen, for standing up against the oppressive forces of, of a government that was seeking to kill children, standing up against them. Then the Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So he moves it even higher. He says, all right, if we can't kill all the babies, we're going to kill all the boys. We're going to annihilate an entire generation of children to stop the population. It's this foundation right here that we discover the greatest enslavement of all. And the last one is spiritual slavery. There's, there is political slavery, there is economic slavery, there is social slavery, and now we find that there is spiritual slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is later on in the story. This is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews says, let my people go so they may worship me. So that they may worship me. Amen. What I want you to see in this story today is a couple of things. One, maybe you've been oppressed. Maybe you've been enslaved. Maybe you can find your story of where you came from and what God is leading you out of. But God doesn't just want to save you of your sins spiritually. He's also concerned with economic, social, and political well-being for all mankind. And he wants you to experience full salvation. 
That's why someday when Jesus comes back, he will bring a new heaven, a new government, a new way of living, a new earth. And he will break down all of the sinful, selfish human beings that are oppressing other human beings and set them completely free. But until that day comes, the church, we not only should stand for sharing the good news of Jesus that he can forgive you of your sins, but we should help people get out of bondage, out of injustice. We should fight for the oppressed and those who are hurting. Amen? And that means that we have to be involved in things like the Crisis Pregnancy Center. We have to be involved. Things like pathways and adopting children through, through uh, adoption agencies or social service agencies that are helping the children who have no home. We should fight against human trafficking. We should stand for the immigrants, the refugees, who find themselves being mistreated because they find themselves without a home, without a place to live because of where they ran from, whatever it might be. God calls us to be his people in the middle of these same kinds of slaveries that are happening right here in Bakersfield, California. You don't have to look too far. It's happening right here. And we as his people should care about that. Well, that's enough for today. Stand with me, would you? God, when we see this, uh, this picture of, of a nation that goes so terrible, and the fear that happened and the evil and the mistreatment of people, I pray that you would help us to identify ourselves in the story and realize, Lord, that there is a Savior and his name is Jesus. You would send a deliverer to these people, Lord, very similar to the way you sent Jesus for us. Would you help us to be people who are seeking to bring full salvation to every human being on the earth? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. We'll pick up on Exodus chapter 2 next week.